You're listening to the NAGRA Podcasters Network. Normally we tape One Dish, One Mic on a set schedule, but Sean and I are here making a special edition of One Dish, One Mic to talk about injustice in the Canadian justice system and the tragedy of Colton Bushy. So for our listeners, if there's a little discrepancy in audio quality, just because I had to call in from Toronto, but we dropped everything. Our producer, Trevor, dropped everything. And we're bringing you this show because we think it's important to have a talk about this issue. We want to have this talk in a way that's in the most respectful fashion for Colton Bushy's family and for anybody who's had to survive a tragedy and deal with the injustice of the Canadian justice system. And the Canadian government. I myself am at Cowork Niagara recording. Mr. Carl Doxeter is in the lovely city of Toronto. And uh, we got some we got some to talk about. In the heart of the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty Territory, Niagara's Sean Vanderclis and Carl Dockstader dish on any and all issues from a First Nations perspective. From pipeline politics to poverty to pan-Indianism and more, Sean shares his concrete curve leg take and Carl gives an urban Oneida angle. You are listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Uh, we got systemic racism being the forefront of all major newspapers um, all across the country for the last four days. It was Friday that the verdict yeah. was announced, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was Friday. Uh, so for those people who aren't aware or haven't been following the news or have been focused on the Olympic Games, um, what has happened is a young man by the name of Colton Bushy was killed by a gentleman in the province of Saskatchewan. And what happened, I mean, the details are a little debatable, but the narrative that's generally being talked about is the fact that he drove up to this farm he pulled into their driveway and an altercation occurred for what reason he was at that that uh property is um irrelevant quite frankly he was there an altercation occurred and it resulted in a loss of his life um the farmer the farmer shot the gentleman in the head uh, at close range uh resulting in his immediate death Um, The verdict was just announced this past Friday, and that verdict, he was charged with second-degree murder, and the verdict that was delivered to the people and the family was that of not guilty. So, as you can imagine, the internet is exploding, indigenous communities are exploding, activists are exploding, the rage is being felt nationwide. Um, I think it's fair to say it's being felt worldwide too. I've seen a couple posts from the United Nations already, uh, a couple people in Australia have already been commenting, like this is this is making international news, and it, and it really should. Yeah, this is this is really something that's that's turned out to be drawing a lot of attention and it's tough because i don't i don't know what way this is going to go and i think this is why we wanted to have an emergency podcast because there there's a lot of misinformation that's out there i i love the internet i love um social media i love all these forms of communication but but i've seen in in recent times that increasingly they've become more and more a tool of misinformation um tens of thousands of dollars were were raised for mr stanley's legal legal defense fund and a lot of it were raised on on the grounds 
that they're they're happy that, that he was standing his ground. They think that there was a self defense element to this, which just legally there just wasn't. There there was no there was no point where they were under any kind of imminent threat. The lawyers didn't claim that there was self defense and there's no reason why a young man had to die, why a twenty one year old young man from Red Pheasant First Nation had to had to give up his life because of because of misinformation. It's this is scary and this is divisive. And this this issue is about more than more than Colton Bushy and Indigenous people. And it's about more than Gerald Stanley and, and white people. This issue is is perhaps the issue of our times. How how divided we are as a people, how polarized the internet has, has allowed things to become and, and how much misinformation is is it's, it's scary. It, it, as a parent, I'm scared to raise my kids in this world. It really is like when I when I read this article and when I was watching the verdict, um, I, I literally could not speak. I had no words. Um, a lot of people, like you said, are making the argument that this was self-defense. And that is not true at all. That is not even remotely close to the reality of what happened. This was not a self-defense case. Um, uh, Gerald Stanley's lawyer did not make that argument in court at all. This has nothing to do with self-defense. And I feel like you really hit the nail on the head, Carl, when you were stating that that the spread of in- misinformation is, again, leading to the divide amongst Canadians and Indigenous people. Um, and I'm looking at the... the Gerald Stanley's support fund right now. I literally just pulled it up. Yesterday when I checked it, it was at at around $60,000. Right now, it is sitting at $117,199. So this, this, so it's the brother of Gerald Stanley who, uh, who created this page in support of him to cover some of his legal costs and, and all that, uh, bull. We're looking at up, upwards of $120,000, and I think this page was created on February 9th. Sorry, I don't think I know. Maybe. It's created on February 9th, and it is the 11th today? The 12th today? Two days. So two days, yeah. people have come together and pitched in $120,000. And we say that racism isn't a problem in Canada. Yeah, it's it's scary. I think... I mean, there there are listeners out there, and I think if you've gotten this far in the show without, without throwing your iPod out the car window, then then probably um, uh, you're you're somewhat sympathetic to indigenous issues. But there there are people that are concerned about indigenous issues and and maybe don't understand. Maybe they truly don't see why this is such a big deal for for indigenous people. And I think that's another reason that it's important for us to to make this podcast because when when this verdict came down. I mean, I, I was out actually to, at a community event. They, they were screening This Is Us uh, or Us and Them. Yeah. Uh, great, great movie that everybody should, should go out and see. Um, and I started to I started to look and I got a couple of messages and I got a text. And, and next thing you know, my, my phone was just blowing up. And then you tagged me in that post. And then and then I, I just saw I mean, I just saw the, the collective disappointment and sadness and anger and frustration at again, another, another total miscarriage of, of justice in the Canadian system. I mean, this, this case is, is pretty black and white and it's uh, again, it, it goes in, in a long line of injustices. This, this is just more of the same for, for indigenous people that, that feel that these aren't our courts. These aren't our judges. This isn't our system. And, and for years now, Canadian leaders have been talking about reconciliation 
But when push comes to shove and when you have a pretty black and white case where an unarmed person, an unarmed young person was killed in their vehicle and, and it's time for, for Canada to truly step up and to have their justice system do its thing, again, Indigenous people end up being failed. Yeah. And, and like you said, we're used to this. We we have seen this narrative spewed over and over and over and over again. Um, right? Going back to Dudley George and Ipawash, right? Yeah. Going back to, I mean, you could, you could, I could literally name off a name for every single person that died in the last hundred years. Like it, it, it is astronomical um, how many people have been have been taken advantage of in this system, right? Like, like you yeah. said before, our, our this system is not designed for Indigenous people. So when I, when I posted that article and I tagged you in it. I think the the comment that I made was the the province of Saskatchewan failed, the RCMP failed, Canada failed, and the system failed. And uh, one of our friends, Patty, commented and said, I don't think the system failed. I think the system is doing what it should. And as pro-Canadian as I I am and as self-identifying as Indigenous and Canadian as as much as I do, right, Um, that really hit home to me. Because when you do like a historical recount of, of how Canada was set up and the policies that were in place, it's more than apparent that we do not belong. And, and Patty really hit the nail on the head when she said that the Canadian system wasn't set up for Indigenous people. We weren't really included into the Constitution until 1982, right? Yeah. We legally yeah. could not hire lawyers in the country of Canada until the 1930s. And if we did, we lost our rights. We were considered Canadian, right? So the system, is it broken? Yeah, is it broken or was it that it was never never designed for us? Um, Patty actually hosts another show on the Niagara Podcasters Network, Medicine for the Resistance. And I, I consider myself politically to be somewhere between the two of you. I mean, um, for, for our listeners out there, of course, they've heard that Sean and I talk about voting and Canadian citizenship and a number of issues. And, and I mean, there, there's a part of me that, that thinks that it's admirable that, that you wanted to participate in and defend Canadian values. And I think, I think there are still things left in Canada that are, that are admirable. And so I see that side of it and I see where you're coming from. And then, and then there's Patty's side where she, she has learned all about how our people have been rejected at every turn and every opportunity has really been about about a form of white supremacy that that excludes indigenous people and and that's that's your view and and so you have two pretty extreme views and and i mean i've sort of walked that line between the two of you but i mean patty's view right now looks like it makes a lot of sense in the wake of the failure of the canadian justice system to do to do anything about about a young man losing his life it it really is it really is a scary a scary time sorry i don't mean to get off topic so while you were talking i was looking at the um and i sorry this is going to sound rude um so i was looking at the gofundme page and when you make a donation you have the option of leaving your name in in recognition of the money that you left and somebody wrote hi how are you the uh you know the stereotypical hey how are you hey how are you right oh, the, yeah. the wow. 1950s 
um, stereotypical Tonto and Lone Ranger approach in yeah. a chanting fashion. Yeah. yeah, so that's the person who made the donation. They donated $25. Another person wow. by the name of Native Canadian donated $10. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've heard um, people mocking Chief Teresa Spence, again, making donations in, in her name. I mean, there. This this has become a magnet for for a special kind of racism that that's deeply concerning. And and I mean, there there's a couple there's a couple sides of it. Number one, there's there's just the side of it of the people who they they just cling to that stereotype and and they want to paint the picture that, that Colton Bushy was one of many renegade criminals in the North Battleford, Saskatchewan area that was roving around stealing farm equipment irresponsibly driving tractors in into people and and that basically he got his comeuppance there are people that that in their heart of hearts firmly believe that these were bad indians and they got what's coming to them and people people are emboldened to come out and make those kinds of statements now social media is, is blowing up with people that are openly supporting the fact that yeah this guy this guy stood his ground and the next logical step for that is that are there people out there that are saying maybe we should maybe we should stand our ground? Yeah, exactly. And it's are we progressing? Right. This is 150 years into Canada's into Canada's birthday, into Canada's young life as a country. And have we have we progressed that much? Like, I mean, is is $117,000 the new bounty for an Indian scalp? Yeah. Is, is, that, is that the going price now? So you, you kill an Indian, you, you, you publicly take a stand, and you're rewarded, your family's rewarded, um, $117,000. Is, is this what my children have to look forward to? All paid for by crowdsourcing. Yeah, exactly. These are like-minded individuals who support his defense and support him and believe that he was just in killing him. So the point that I'm attempting to make is that there's more to this than just uh, Colton Bushy's life. There's the injustice, the systemic discrimination that happened after this gentleman was killed, after his life was taken. Um, The jury selection alone, there's no visible minority representation like that alone is cause for grants is it not what do you think carl yeah and all an all white jury i mean that that's what jumped out um we uh and by we i mean myself and, and the other co-chairs of the niagara anti-racism coalition we had we had long talks we we released a letter i'll i'll um release a link to the text of, of the letter uh, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I'll also put a link to, to uh, an opportunity to contribute to the family of Colton Bushy in the, um, in the show notes as, as well. So the people that want to do that can contribute in that way. So, but we were, we were talking about it. And one of the things that, that jumped out immediately to the other members or the other, the other co-chairs of the coalition was, was the all white jury. Like just, just the idea that, I mean, these are people that, that maybe they don't have the same tainted indigenous worldview of the Canadian system that I do. So, so they're looking at, at what is effectively their justice system and going, if, if this is the jury of, of someone's peers, this, this should reflect the community makeup. And the fact of the matter is that indigenous people are, are part of that community. 
community up in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. But a technicality was used. It, it, uh, there's there's a process where you can you can automatically phase out any number of uh, or a certain number of jurors that you want, and that technicality was used to ensure that anybody who was there being indigenous was was removed from from the jury. So so again, you have the the fact of the matter is that that it was a white man that killed an indigenous person. And an all-white jury acquitted that white man, and the optics of that look, look terrible and reinforce the racism, the systemic racism, and just just how terrible and unconscionable unconscionable it is that, that the Canadian justice system arrived at the solution that that apparently no one was at fault for this murder. Shameful. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, like just reading some of the commentary that's happening online and the narrative of of what happened. Like the one article I was reading, the gentleman, the this lawyer clearly illustrates the insanity of this gentleman's defense of Mr. Stanley's defense. He's carrying the gun in his right hand while attempting to reach over his body into a truck with his left hand and take out the keys and that's when the gun went off so for the people listening just imagine yourself imagine that you are standing um parallel to the front door of your vehicle and imagine that your body is looking towards the front of the vehicle now try and take your left arm and reach over and take out the keys in your ignition now that sounds pretty hard now imagine holding a gun and that was his defense. Yeah. That was his defense is that he was holding the gun and the gun magically went off. And yeah. like like how how is that, how is that a defense? Do you know what I mean? Like what the hell? What like that's, that is insane. A, like absolute insanity. Like I I if this was a non-native man who was killed and an indigenous man had the exact same defense, I guarantee you this man would be dead already. The indigenous person would be locked away and he would be beat up while in jail. And if he wasn't beat up while in jail uh, by the prison, by the inmates in jail, it'd be the guards that did it. Yeah. Like this is, this is Canada in the 21st century. In 2006, 17, 16, this is what's happening. Yeah, let's let's break down the article that you were talking about. Our our friend Emily Spanton, who is uh, terrific and uh, very active in the Niagara community, shared shared an article by Rob Feist, who uh, is from from Saskatchewan and very very legally knowledgeable. So, and he actually he actually made a list of there's uh, one two three four five six seven eight things, and all eight of these things the jury needed to believe happened in order for them to to acquit Gerald Stanley. So I'll, I'll go through all of them. Uh, the, the first thing that Mr. Feist says is that Gerald Stanley did not know how many rounds he put into the gun. He, he said that he put two rounds in the gun. There were actually three rounds in the gun. The second thing is that Gerald Stanley believed that his family uh, was under threat and he loaded his firearm with two shells. He shot both those shells in the air and then he left his firearm empty intentionally. The third thing that happened is that Gerald Stanley tried to make his gun safe by repeatedly pulling its trigger into the air. So he only put two shells in, he thought, 
and he fired them in to uh, try and scare off anybody who who was on his property. And then lastly, he continues to pull the trigger to to check. The next thing that, that Gerald Stanley's defense says is that he took the time in the situation to make sure that his gun was safe before proceeding to the vehicle that he thought had maybe run over his wife. The next thing that happens is that he believed that the bushy SUV had run over his wife, and he had no no foundation to believe this, but this escalated his sense of urgency because sometimes she's on the lawnmower, and in this particular instance, she wasn't on the lawnmower, so therefore Mr. Stanley believed that maybe Mr. Bushy had, had run over his wife. The next improbable thing is that Gerald Stanley went to the window of the vehicle to turn the vehicle off. And this is um, this is what you were talking about, was that he used his, his left hand to try and turn off the vehicle. He had the firearm in his right hand, and that's what accidentally caused it to go off at the exact same time that it was pointed at, at Bushy's head. It's just maybe one of those things happened, like, like maybe possibly there was a hand fire. Maybe possibly Gerald Stanley was, was worried about his wife being run over. Maybe possibly he, he put two, he thought he put two shells in and he actually put three shells in. Maybe possibly and on and on and on there, there just is a certain level where this, this really extraordinary sequence of events had to happen in order for this to be an accident. And it's just, it's just not probable. It's just not realistic that, that this, this was, this was an accident. Even Gerald Stanley and his son's stories, they contradict one another in terms of, in terms of what exactly happened that day. It, it's, it's riddled with flaws. There, there's no reason to reasonably believe that, that Gerald Stanley is innocent in this instance, yet an all-white jury acquitted a white man of killing an Indigenous person. And I'm not even shocked anymore. It's more of the same from the Canadian injustice system. Yeah, the uh, the stars really had to align for for all of those circumstances to actually come to fruition. Um, and what happened with the RCMP after? Right? Did you read that article? Where the RCMP? Oh, how they went and when they when they approached his family's house, they uh, knocked on the mother's door. They said very cold heartedly that your son's dead. They proceeded to enter the house and start rummaging through their items while the mom is on the floor crying. Uh, attempting to to deal with and cope with the fact that she just found out her son died, and they essentially say, "Get off the floor! You have to you have to deal with this now." Yeah, right. Without a warrant, without probable cause, they're searching. So an indigenous man gets killed, regardless of intent, and they go to his house instantly to search the premises. Yeah, right. So let, let, let's imagine for a second that Stanley uh, Gerard or whatever the hell his name is, at this point I don't even care, um, let's pretend that the race was not involved at the with the killing of him. Clearly, <laughs> there is some sort of racism or some sort of stereotyping or some sort of prejudice that's happening for the RCMP to illegally enter this residence. They had no probable cause. The, the the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator, was killed. So what reason would they have to enter this person's house without a warrant, without permission, and with his mom crying on the ground? Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, even 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 if 
Colton Bushy was was mixed up in some things. I mean, the the idea, you know, I'm I'm imagining if if this were my own kids, you know, they're they're young. I have young girls. I've talked about this on the show before. That's that's no secret. But but if they got older and they, you know, it happens where kids get mixed up into into things. You know, even if that were the case, and the police came to my house. And gave me the tragic, you know, heaven forbid that this should ever happen to any parent. But if they if they came to my house and said that, unfortunately, your child has died. I mean, my whole world is devastated. But then above and beyond that, I don't even get the compassion of, of even a brief moment to collect myself before they start presuming that my criminality or my child's criminality is is perhaps the reason that this death needed to happen. It's, it's a total lack of compassion and another layer of, of this, this of the systemic racism and unfortunately more of the same for indigenous people it's it's uh it's a sad world we live in where when when we were approached to do this podcast you know i honestly was really excited i was thinking about positive change we had a new government in place and i was thinking of all the good that we could do and here I am, like, just bitter. I find myself more bitter now than ever before. Like, paying attention to the issues. Like, when you actually look at the issues that are infe- affecting our people and the the rate at which we are killed, it's, it's just mind-blowing. We're in Canada, right? <laughs> I, I feel like people don't understand that when I say it. We are in Canada. Like, think, think of... Put on your rose-colored glasses. Think of the reputation of Canada, and think of the reputation they try to portray on the international level. Think of what your parents taught you. Now listen to us when we say that our people are being murdered. We have a campaign called "Missing and Murdered Indigenous Reason uh, Indigenous Women for a Reason." It's because statistically, our women are killed at a higher rate than any other any other group, let alone sex any other group in in the country in the history of this country women go missing on a daily basis without any concern or any cause and what happens when they get reported is that they're labeled as prostitutes or labeled as hookers or labeled as drug abusers and, and uh, criminals and 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 this is the same narrative that's being spewed over and over and over again how many of us are criminals how many of us are, are prostitutes and hookers and abusers it's not as many as they're they're claiming or alleging like it, it's I mean, even in, it's absolutely even insane. Are, why why the judgment you know why why all the judgment the the uh, we we live in a system that i think is is not as advanced as it thinks that it is there's a real issue of western superiority and the superior sister the feelings of superiority that the Western system has about it itself and this view that, that if you if you are forced into sex trafficking or if you do have the illness that that is addiction, somehow you're less than, somehow you're you're you've made poor decisions and that you but that you ultimately are at fault for making mistakes. You're at fault for being impoverished. You're at fault for being a sex trade worker. You're at fault for being somebody that that uses drugs to cope. And there's there's no acknowledgement of, of the fact that there's extenuating circumstances. And it doesn't matter. This this is where classism 
and where a whole bunch of other layers of judgment jump in. It doesn't even matter what, what race you are. There, there's this belief of Western superiority that if you're not at the same level as somebody else, you're inferior and you deserve it. And that is a sad reflection. Well, it's that it's that American dream that uh, that sense of capitalism that I'm going to succeed at all costs. It doesn't matter what gets in my way. It doesn't matter who's affected. Um, what's that movie? Ricky Bobby, uh, Anchorman? No, what the hell's that movie? Talladega Nights. Sorry, one of my favorite movies, and I forgot it. Um, if you're not first, you're last, and that's literally the opinion of Western society. And this is in direct contrast to Indigenous people. Indigenous, indigenous people have this collectivist approach where we we are we are to be judged by our weakest. We are to be judged as a whole, no, not on an individual basis. And and that's yeah. that's the foundation. I mean, above and beyond the racism and the discrimination and the injustice that were, injustices that were committed against and to our people, but that is one of the the foundations of why we butt heads with the country of Canada and the country of the United States of America all the time, is because we we fundamentally see things from a from a point of view and a worldview that they can't even fathom or can't even can't even begin to understand. And and, and it's unfortunate that I'm generalizing. It really is. But people are dying, and it's it's it is emotionally affecting me. Do you know what I mean? Like I I, I kid you not when I say I cried for like a good five ten minutes because I was a young stupid kid who did young stu- who did things that young stupid kids do, and that could have been me, and that could be my children, that could be my oldest son, that could be my youngest son, that could be some of my best friends, and and it, it like it just really hit home with me. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I scared. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm nervous. I'm, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm losing friendship over this too. Like I live in Ontario. I don't even live in Saskatoon. I have no relation to this family. I've never even been to this reserve, but like I'm losing friendship over, over this post, over the, over this event, over everything that's happening, right? Just over a basic Facebook conversations that we're having, Right. And it's just, I don't know. It's its scary. and But I think you hit the nail on the head. And that, I mean, we can we can talk about how the arrest rates are six times higher for black people in Ontario, according to the Ministry of the Attorney General. We can talk about how the arrest rates are seven times higher for Indigenous people. Again, according to the Ontario Ministry of the Attorney General, we can, we can talk about how the incarceration rate is higher. 20 to 25% of inmates are Indigenous, while, while we represent only 4 or 5% of, of the population. We can, we can talk about the numbers. We can talk about the systemic racism. We can, we can give you piles and piles of academic information. There, there's a mountain of info that's out there. There's, there's the Royal Commission on, on Aboriginal People. There's the Truth and Reconciliation Report. There's the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. There's there's just stacks and stacks and stacks of, of evidence that say that there's injustice and that if if we aim to be a virtuous, just and good society, that, that we need to make this right. But at the end of the day, if if for no other reason than than the fact that Colton Bushy was somebody's son and 
in this case, it happened to be an indigenous young man that was killed. And he was killed in an atmosphere where stereotypes ran rampant and where racial discrimination ran high and where systemic racism runs absolutely rampant. But at the end of the day, a young man is dead and it happened to be an indigenous young man. But anybody out there who's listening of any race, walk, color or creed, it could have been your son. And you have to believe that you live in a society that would find you justice. And in this case, no justice is found for this family. The soul of Colton Bushy can't rest in peace. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't even know. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm looking at the GoFundMe page right now for Colton Bushy. And he's raised $129,000 in five months wow so in five months worth of work since this page has been up one hundred twenty nine thousand dollars have come in support of his family in support of the the costs that are associated with the uh, burying a loved one um the pain and the trauma and their lives forever being altered one hundred twenty nine thousand dollars again gerald stanley support fund is a hundred and seventeen thousand dollars in two days. In two days, a hundred one thousand six hundred twenty-five people donated in support of that hundred seventeen thousand dollars. So, for Colton Bushy's family, two thousand seven hundred fifty-five people donated in five months. So for the mathematicians out there and the accountants and all the business majors, let's uh, let's put these numbers to the test and, and see. Like, this is ridiculous. Five months, a man is killed. And in two days, this man almost raises as much as him. And you t you're honestly going to tell me that racism is not a problem in Canada. Yeah, the time the time to mince words and to be nice is is behind us, and it it's unfortunate that it came to this, but the vast majority of white people that I've known throughout my life have thought that everything was okay when it came to racial issues, that, that everything was fine, that society was improving, that that everything was going to work itself out, and yet the evidence is is quite to the contrary, and we need we need to look no further than this really unfortunate, tragic case, the miscarriage of justice, but even worse, the, the public cry, outcry afterwards. I, I'm imploring our listeners to, to go out and to realize that privilege is a real thing. Unchecked privilege is dangerous. The, living here when you're, when you're a person of color, when you're a racialized person, when you're an indigenous person, it is a different experience for us. And, and usually it's a worse experience than it is for people that, that are born with the birthright of happening to be white. People need to get out of their comfort zones. They need to learn about the harmful effects of the legacy of racism. They need to learn that these simple anti-Indigenous stereotypes are, are harmful, and in this case, deadly. They need to understand how their white privilege perpetuates these legacies and the role that systemic racism plays in keeping Indigenous people marginalized. The, the time to pretend that this isn't an issue is past. If you want to believe that you're a good person that's part of a good society and you want to do the right thing, then 
it's time to talk to your friends, family, and loved ones about racism in, in society and what you're willing to do to correct this historical wrong. Not, not for Sean, not for me, not even for yourself, but for all of our kids and their children's children and the seven generations after them. Yeah. I mean, you, you really have to have that frank conversation. You, you have to go to that, to your washroom. You have to look yourself in that mirror and say like, what the f is this? Is this good enough? Are my, are my views what they should be? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's sorry. I still can't get off this GoFundMe thing. I I'm like, my mind is all blank. War chief, War Chief Jeffy Huffingas just donated twenty dollars, and since we've been talking, since I first announced it, they're at one hundred twenty thousand dollars. So in the last twenty minutes, they've raised, raised an additional three thousand dollars, courtesy of Amazing. War Chief Jim Jeffy Huffingas. Amazing. Like what the hell? Why would you even think that that is remotely okay to put? Is it because I don't know who you are? Is it because no indigenous person is able to find you? Chief Bobby Cameron, like. I mean, I'm in Toronto right now and I'm looking out the window and there happen to be dozens of people walking around, walking up and down the streets. And I'm asking myself, is one of them the person that made that donation? Did they just make that donation on their iPhone as they're walking down the street as, as they laugh? at this tragedy is it means nothing to them. They don't even, they don't even pass a thought as they throw away those chump things to them. Like, I mean, this is, this is legit money too. Like somebody just donated $500. So it's almost that 21,000, 121,000. I'm going to put down my computer before I break it. I just bought it. I love my computer and I don't want to break it, but like $121,000 Four thousand dollars within the last thirty minutes of this podcast, or twenty minutes for this podcast. You know, let's get crazy and say it was an hour. Three thousand. Sorry, I meant to say three thousand. Three thousand dollars were raised in the last hour of this podcast, and racism isn't an issue in Canada. I feel like I'm I'm just beating a dead horse right now, saying the same thing. But like I'm. I am literally a kid who just found out that Santa Claus isn't real. Like, I know racism exists. I dealt with racism. I was raised in a non-Indigenous environment, despite my mom being Indigenous and despite my grandparents being Indigenous and despite them raising me. um, Colonialism drastically affected my life. As such, I was raised in a non-Indigenous environment. The only reason that I ever started paying attention to my culture was because of discrimination. So I know that racism is an issue in Canada. I I was the president of the Niagara Regional Native Center because of racism. I dance in powwows and and socials because of racism. I learned to speak my language because of racism. But yet, I'm still surprised that racism is an issue. And I I like honestly I just the the emotional part of me just wants to scream at the top of my lungs and say what the fuck like what what can we possibly do in the day and age of 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 justin trudeau and all the 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 um liberal agenda that he's bringing forward of 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 love and feminism like he's said people kind the other day i know he was joking and i know everybody got a good laugh of it but like the 
progress that he is making. And yet we're still seeing the effects of the 18th century, 1800s, right? Like this is when, when Senator Lynn Bayak talked about her supporters, I feel like this, these are her supporters. The 3,000 people who donated to the Gerald Stanley uh, Defense Fund, those are the people she's talking about. Words matter. Yeah. They, they, they really do. And, like, I don't know. Like, it, when you're spewing that rhetoric and that hate, it, it, it has an effect. With the rise of Donald Trump, it has an effect. You're saying that it's okay. You're justifying your actions. I don't know. Like, I don't even know what to say. Like, I, I again, we're, I feel like I'm talking in a circle and just rambling on, but like, my heart is breaking. And I, I am a man who is just trying to figure out what's next. What should I do? Right? Like, I posted on Facebook that I bought into the concept of Canada. And now, like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I really, I really don't. That's the, that's the $121,000 question. Right now, is is Canada a real thing? Is this 151-year-old concept, is this a real idea? Is this a, a place of virtue? Is this a place of justice? Is this a place of value? Or is this a place where in two days, Gerald Stanley can raise an amount that eclipses the amount that a young man who lost his life's family can raise in five months? Is that what Canada is? I think we're at a real crossroads. And I think that the only people who can really answer that are the people who are listening to this, the people who aren't listening to this, all the people that are that are maybe waving flags and rooting for hockey teams and ice skaters and snowboarders right now and telling themselves that they, they live in a just and virtuous country. But I have to challenge all those people to ask themselves, what kind of a just country allows this to happen? So this is this is the part of the show where we do our where we do our traveling thoughts and at times i think i think that the whole point of this show is to try and leave people in in a positive way and to try and take some some sometimes very difficult subjects and to find a way to send our listeners off in a way that, that they have some sort of positive outlook or positive outcome on this so in in that spirit i'm going to do everything in my power to frame this traveling thought in a positive way, but I can't make any promises. So, so here it goes. But when, what I see in Colton Bushy is something that could happen to, to anybody, to any family. In this case, it happened to be an indigenous young man. It happened to involve the systemic racism. It happened to involve the stereotypes of the white farmers generally believing that the indigenous people were some kind of criminals and posed some kind of threat to them. It, happened to be a tragic set of circumstances and in this particular instance there happened to be a gross miscarriage of justice but in order for me to have hope what i have to do is i have to believe the people who are listening to this podcast people that are reading our writers that are out there that are reading non-indigenous writers that are out there that that people will finally say i've had enough and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to live in a truly fair society. So this is my impassioned plea to everybody out there. Please change. Look in the mirror. Try and make the world a better place. The family of Colton Bushy deserves nothing less. Well said. What I want you to do, listeners, 
is to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that you are an indigenous child. And I want you to imagine that you are going to your first baseball game. And that you're going to your first football game. And you're seeing... Um, you're seeing a, a pretty well-known, famous team, whether it be the Cleveland Indians or the Washington Redskins, right? Then I want you to imagine that you're living on reserve, and while on reserve, you're attempting to get medical care covered. But there is no medical care because you live on reserve. Then I want you to imagine that you are living in the province of Manitoba, walking the streets of Edmonton, or living in Ontario and walking the streets of Thunder Bay, or living pretty much any city in Canada and walking the streets at night, and a cop pulls you over. What are you going to do? This is, this is the reality that my son has to live with. My 11-year-old son, who has done not a single thing wrong in this world, and these are the types of issues that he has to deal with on a daily basis. And it breaks my heart knowing that there's nothing that I can do about it. Nothing at all. <laughs> so what I need from the people who are listening and what I want from the people who are listening is to say that enough is enough and to, to speak up and to speak for the people who cannot be spoken for to help my son when I'm not around, to be the eyes looking at him from a distance or the guardian angel on his shoulder. We like, this is unacceptable. These are our children we are talking about and we need that collectivist approach to ensure the safety of our future generations. Our kind depends on it. Our species depends on it. Canada as a society depends on it. And we, the, the status quo is not good enough. The system is not working. It's not functioning. It's, it's, it's broken and, and whatever the case, it may, you know what? It could be working. I don't, I don't care. We're arguing about semantics. The fact of the matter is people are dying and we need to change that. We really do. And I, um, I don't know. I just need everybody to be, humans i need you to be a human being i need you to be compassionate i need you to be loving i need you to to help me help my son and that's my traveling thought i couldn't agree more you've been listening to one dish one mic right here in the niagara podcasters network sean is right there in the pop-up podcast studio <laughs> and i'm here from scenic Toronto, wondering if all the people around me are contributing to Gerald Stanley's GoFundMe. Try and have a nice week, folks. Nikiwa. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Your hosts are Carl Dockstader and Sean Vanderplus. Recording is done at Pop Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara, home of Niagara's independent workforce. Executive producer is Trevor Twining. Production assistance by Daniel Twining. Show artwork by Mitch Baird. Music by DJ Shub, used with permission. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Niagara Podcasts.